We can sing about the great praises of our God, the many anthems of our great God. We did that this morning. We talked about the great faithfulness of our God. We talked about that firm foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. We sang and declared that his mercy is more and that everything is well with our souls. We talked about the fact that we can live and face tomorrow because it is well with our soul and because Jesus Christ has died and buried and rose again on that third day. And we can trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those of you who may be here and you're not even sure you're, you're saved, you've heard about Jesus Christ. You've even heard it sung now in some of the songs, the fact that Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. And that allows not only him to live, but we live too through Jesus Christ and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd trust that even today would be a day that you would accept the fact that Jesus Christ has come and died and he was buried and he rose again on that third day to provide a way for you and I to be able to enter into heaven. And that's the joy that we sing about. And it's the joy that we enjoy and we, we, we cling to those anthems that we sing about so faithfully and so wonderfully. But there are moments in our life when though we know those things, we feel forgotten. In fact, in Psalm 13, we're going to have a, a passage where David is going to feel that way. There's a, a movie that I really like, and some of you know that. It's The Princess Bride. And there's a moment where they talk about, they bring Wesley, who, you know, it's always because of a girl. Wesley is in love with this girl, but the prince likes the girl as well. The prince is going to get rid of him, so he brings him to the pit of despair. You know, and like the, this wonder, this place that is just supposed to be the most heinous place ever. And they're going to suck his life away. And it's going to be the most brutal thing. And, and we know it's, it's a comical kids book movie. It's not, it's not the end of the world. But the reality of life is there are moments where we find ourselves in a pit of despair. We look around and we come for refreshing. We come to remember the greatness of our God but we find ourselves in moments where it is hard to even think about escaping the despairs of life. David in Psalm 33 is going, or Psalm 13, excuse me, is going to write from the depths of despair. He is facing a time that is completely difficult in his life, though we're going to learn that we don't know what it is. This psalm is wrung out of the extremities of his soul. As he, as he pleads and talks to God, he simply felt as if he could not go on for another day, hour, or minute. And so he, he comes to God bearing his soul. Many of us have been there. One commentary wrote this, and I, I usually don't like to write it all out, but I thought he said this well. Most of us have been right where David is at some time or another. It may be a long, drawn-out sickness or a financial problem of great severity or long-standing. It could be difficult, tangled, seemingly hopeless. It may be a wayward child, an alcoholic spouse, an unsaved loved one. It may be a situation at work with an unreasonable demanding boss, a jealous, spiteful fellow coworker. In life, we will probably find ourselves in David's shoes over and over and over again. And I'm like, I know some of you are like, oh great, here we go. We're gonna get an encouraging message. But the realities of our life and the realities of the psalmist, the realities of David's life, tell us that there are moments of great despair and difficulty and hardships in our life. The Christian life is never, never promised to be a, uh, just a beautiful, easy, simple thing. And not even the Christian life, life in general 
is not always simple. There are moments of despair and hardship. And so David is going to, to talk here, and man's extremities often give God's opportunity. When we are at our wit's end, without our resources, we're at a loss for which way, which direction to go. We're perplexed. We're desperate. We're, we're trying to figure it all out, out in our mind. That is often when we see God begin to work because it shows our dependence on him and not on ourself. Have you ever, have you ever been in this situation? Honey, we forgot the kids. Uh, I remember the first time we did it, Dylan was six years old and she was back on the stairwell back there playing with her friends and apparently Sharon told me I was supposed to take her home. I won't argue with that because she's usually right. <laughs> so, uh, but both of us ended up at home and our six-year-old daughter is still at church. Now, granted, if you're going to leave your, pl- your kid at a place, the best place is probably church. It's a good place to leave your kids. But we've, we've maybe been there. Now, for us, we're, we try to brush it off. Okay, yeah, haha, we finally did it. We made fun of all the other parents who did it. And now it's our turn to finally leave our kids somewhere. But to a child, it's terrifying. But what about when you feel as if you've been forgotten by God? You all of a sudden are wondering, does he care? Does he know? Is he going to intercede? Is he going to help here? To feel forgotten by God is at least nerve-rattling. But it's unsettling. And that's where David is at in Psalm 13. He's feeling like, where are you? What What is going to happen here? Can you think of any other biblical characters outside of David who may have felt forgotten by God? Joseph. Elijah. Job. We, we probably start listing, you start to go through the Bible, you can start listing different individuals who, who wonder, where is God? Maybe, maybe Peter, Paul, when they're in the prison, though they're faithful, maybe there was that fleeting moment. We don't know. We don't know by all, but we know some of them went through some extreme moments and the potential of despair. Jeremiah in a pit, wondering, writing about lamentations and, and the lamenting to God and giving back to him. We know that David writes this, and it's a feeling of being forgotten by God. So let's read through Psalm 13, and then let's make some comments, and let's look and see how we can apply it to our lives. David says this, How long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine mine enemies say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing of the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We know in this this situation, we don't have a, a definite scenario. Sometimes with the Psalms, you'll get, you know, this happened when, uh, Psalm 51, last week, pastor preached on David and Bathsheba. Psalm 51, it says, out of that situation, you have Psalm 51. So you can directly tie it to a scenario. This Psalm gives us no indications like that whatsoever. We do know this, if you look in verse 2, verse 4, that there is an enemy. There is something that is oppressing against him, that is pushing back against David. We don't know what that enemy is. It could be he call, he, he's calling the circumstance of life his enemy. 
We've, we've felt that way, haven't we, when it feels like culture in the world may be against you? It could be he's writing because Saul is pushing against him and chasing after him. It could be the fact that he's at the end of his life and he's facing death itself, and he's just not sure, and he's, he's wondering how is his legacy going to be remembered? How is he going to be uh, exalted or remembered as a king? We don't know, and I, I think there's a beauty to that. Because if we knew just the exact situation, then we'd only ever apply it to that exact situation. But God leaves it open-ended so that as we look at the moments in our life, for some of you, it's a different despair than others. For some of you, there's hardships in a different way than the person across the aisle. And God leaves it nebulous in that way so that we can apply the truths of this passage to the different scenarios. David is disturbed by what the enemy is doing, whatever it is, but he's even more disturbed by the fact that God is not doing anything in return. And he's like, God, where are you? Where, what are you doing? There's got to be something that you can do in this moment. And that is rattling David and, and his faith a little bit. We talk about, and there's, there's a lot of talk about mental health nowadays. And, and some will dismiss the idea. There's, there's a lot to be said about the importance of, of mental health and, and keeping, you know, taking care of yourself and, and bodily care and physical care and, and you know, personal care. To, to make sure that there is, there's a good dynamic of mental health in our lives. Some people will dismiss, but David right here, there is some mental anxiety that is going on. He is, he is tormented by the silence of God. He's feeling depressed. He's feeling defeated. Notice, notice how he's impacted here. Look in verse number one. He says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? He's talking about his God, Jehovah. The, the one who you, you have a covenant relationship with me and my people. You have a direct relationship with me and, and my kingship. And he, he's looking and he's saying, where are you? There's a, there's a spiritual aspect here where he is, he is at wit's end spiritually. He's like, God, you're my God, but I, I don't see you answering my prayers. I don't see you doing this. What is happening? Psychologically, he's, he's being tormented. He, he talks about in verse two, how long will I take counsel in my soul? my heart. He's talking about him personally. He's dealing with it rationally in his mind, and he's trying to wrestle with where is the God who's supposed to always be there, the faithful covenant-keeping God of, of my ancestors, and, and right now everything is falling apart, and the enemy is oppressing against me, and God, wh- where are you at? He's tormented emotionally. Verse 3, when it talks about the idea of uh, lighten my eyes, it's a, it's a Hebraism that has the idea of encourage me that my eyes have sunken down and I need somebody to lift me up. I need my eyes to be lit, to be made alive. You've seen that with people, haven't you? Where you, you can tell something's not right because their eyes are they're sad. But when they're encouraged and things are good, there's that twinkle, there's that glow, there's that excitement in, in their eyes. And that's what David's talking about. He's like, I'm emotionally perplexed here. He says, I'm physically battling. He's, he's talking about his eyes, but then he talks about the death in verses four, he talks about, am I, am I going to uh, have the enemy prevail against me? Is there going to be a, a movement upon me and I'm not going to be able to stand against them? Am I going to face the, the death? So David, is, it's, not just a, it's not just a theological battle David's having here. He is at a point in his life, whatever that is, that he's at wit's end. He is struggling He's hurting, not just spiritually, not just physically, but emotionally. 
mentally, psychologically. He is, he's battling through this time. And out of that, David continues to write. How does, why, why does David feel this way? Why does he feel that way? Part of it is a misgiving about God's character. And have you ever found yourself slipping into this? Where you look and say, God, you're refusing to act the way I desire you to act. Right now, David's saying, God, I want you to do that. How long until you're going to do this? And how long, and my enemies are coming, and why aren't you taking care of this? God, you're supposed to act the way that I want you to act. And can we not, in those moments of difficulty, get frustrated and look at God and have that same exact misgiving and saying, this is what needs to be done, God. This is what I expect to happen. Why are you not doing that? It's because he's God and I am not. And, and so David is, is wrestling through that. God, you've withdrawn from my life. You've hidden yourself. You have forgotten me. How long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, we, we instantly, those of you who have grown up in church and around, you know right away, oh, that's not theologically true because God is everywhere and God sees exactly what you're going through, David. And you know that God is... Granted, we can theologically spit out stuff like that all the time. But when we practically get in those hard moments, when we're facing those difficult times, am I the only one that's ever felt that? I don't think so. God, don't you care? Don't you see the hardship that is happening in my family right now? God, don't you see the financial stress that we are going through? God, don't you know about the, the battles that we're having with X, Y, Z? Have you forgotten us, God? Do you even see what's going on? David has the courage to write it down. Most of us will think it, but we, don't, we tend not to say it out loud. He felt this way because his life circumstances, in his life circumstances, he felt, and that's, that's the important dynamic here, he felt as if God has alienated him. He felt as if God has abandoned him or ignored him. We know theologically God did not. But don't we feel that way at times? Don't we battle through those same feelings that David battles with here in Psalm 13? And he understands that without a divine intervention here, there's the only, the only direction that he can anticipate in his logical thinking is that there is going to be a decline or defeat. Look at, in verse three and four, he talks about, consider me and hear me, O God, lighten my eye, encourage me, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He sees like, this is, this is, this is how bad it is, God. This is the trajectory that only, I, it's all I can see. Or then my enemy, verse four, that, that he's going to be over me and prevail against me and all I can see is the decline, whether of his kingship or just his life in general. He's starting to say, all of that together is going to send me in this direction that I don't see how we recover outside of you, God. That, that truth plays out. Do you feel that way in our culture? Do you feel that way as you look and you see all the different things that are happening the rioting, the rebellions, the abortions, the, the theories that are rising up that are anti-God. And you start to go, God, have you forgotten about America? God, hello, we're here. Why are you not doing something? God, why have you not intervened? We, we're praying you need to do this. God, you need to act the way that we want you to act. Why are you allowing any of this to happen, God? Anybody ever think that way? We, we look 
in our, in our culture, and we're wondering, God, how long? When, when you know, the, the, the saints around the throne, remember Revelation, how long until you come judge the earth? Anybody ever feel like, God, how long? What, what are you doing? Don't you know we're Christians? We're faithfully praying. We're asking you to intercede here, God, but you're not doing that. Why not? This is what we want. This is what we expect, and you should be doing that, God. We can easily fall into the same position as David. We can do it personally. Anybody else notice that it's getting a lot more expensive to drive your vehicle, to pay for groceries? No? Okay. It's more expensive. All of a sudden, the bills are getting tighter. God, we're, we're begging. Have you abandoned us? Have you forgotten us, Lord? Do you not see the difficulties? Lord, uh, I'm facing the potential of losing my job, or maybe some of you have lost your job over decisions that you've made and some decisions that you haven't made. And it's put you in a spot where you're wondering, uh, I'm, I'm down here in Lebanon. Do you, do you, do you, I know Lebanon's not you know big city, but do you remember us, God? Have you abandoned us? Have you forgotten about us? I'm, I'm battling that. Some of you, you know, teens, you're, you're battling injuries. Some of us adults are constantly battling injuries, and you're like, God, the pains, I just can't handle it anymore. It's changed my life of what I can do. The, the loss of a loved one. God, don't you care? Doesn't anybody care? I feel depressed, God. I feel defeated. And I feel like any way I turn, no matter what, all I can see is decline. All I can see is, is death. I can, all, that's all I see. God, are, are, you, are you here? Do you really care? Are you really just an obtuse God who's just out there and really doesn't care about people? That's where David is at. And that's where we can find ourselves if we do not keep the perspective that we ought if we do not look and say, what is God teaching David in this passage? What is happening? So what David does when he, um, so what does David do when feeling completely overwhelmed by life? Completely abandoned by God. He, first of all, he expresses himself and his situation to God. So what he does in verses one and two. Now, God is aware of David's truth. He is well aware of the situation. What David is doing and part of the questioning that is happening is he is uttering his dependence upon God. He is looking and saying, this is where I'm at, God. You know this, but I am bringing this to you. The questions that he's asking are not for his knowledge. God, does, God has no, no obligation to answer David on any of those, to tell him how long for any of that. What David is doing is he is crying out for God to act. He is crying out for God's attention in these situations. Look what he says. How long will you forget me or remain alienated or re ignore me? He's saying, God, don't, don't forget me. Lord, I'm here. I'm trying to be faithful. Remember me. How long will you hide your face or be abandoned from me? How long will, you, will I have to plan or devise or scheme is the idea there against my enemy? How much more, more can I, I, I don't know, God, but I'm, I'm coming to you because I have nowhere else to turn. It is an utter dependence upon God. How long will this enemy of mine be exalted over me? The world seems like it's crashing in. I'm trying to live for you faithfully, and yet everything seems to be falling in on me, God. How much longer? I don't know what else can, I can take, but David is saying, I am depending upon you. I am coming to the only one who has the answers to some of these difficult questions in life. So David is coming to him and expressing that situation. At times we feel like we can't do that. Well, I don't want, to, I don't want God to think I'm complaining. I don't want God to, to, to think that I'm upset with him. 
you see that in scriptures where individuals who are going through difficult times lament to God. They bring the situation to God in utter dependence to him and saying, God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your direction. I beg for you, please, to intercede. And so he's, he's doing that. He's facing this emotional turmoil as he, as he goes through the passage. Time has become the destructive force in this man's life right now. It is wearing down on him. That's why he keeps saying, how long, how long, how long? It is the time element. He's been facing it constantly. And the, the suffering that he's facing is intensifying as time goes on. And so what, whatever the distance of time is, whether it was weeks, months, years, we don't know. For some of you, it's been weeks that the turmoil has been here. For some of you, your struggles have been over the last months or years. And you can identify with David and saying, Lord, I don't know how much longer I can. And yet David is looking and saying, we need to put our dependence upon the faithful one. Because without God, there is nothing to cling to. There is not hope. And that's, that's where David relies upon. He comes back to the fact that it is you, my God, where I'm going to hang my hat. It is you, my God, who I will put my hope in in the midst of everything that is tumultuous in my life. In the midst of his dark hour, David feels abandoned. And if his prayers are really accomplishing nothing, that's where he's at. He's saying, what is gonna happen? What is going on? And so what does he plead for? That's verses three and four. Stuck right in the middle is this plea, this prayer, he comes before God, and what does he say? He says, consider me. Please, I feel like your face is hidden from me. Please, I feel like you're not looking upon all of my hardships. God, look upon me. Consider me. Stop hiding from me. Hear me. It's very personal. And he's using, he's actually using imperatives. He's using commands. He's commanding God. Now, you might look and go, whoa, whoa, wait, how does he do that? Look what he says. He says, hear me. Give me an answer. He can say this because of his relationship. He's in a good relationship with God, and he's, he's coming to God. Now, when you read scriptures, and as you're going through, and you have a command that goes from a uh, subordinate to a superior, it is, it is considered a request, but it's put with an emphatic urge, like, boss, please, I need you to do this. You're not looking at your boss and saying, you got to do this. You're begging them to please consider this. That's what David's doing. He's not saying, God, you got to answer me right now. I'm claiming this. You must do this. No, he is looking with utmost respect to his father and saying, please, look at everything. I, I need you, please. This is just too great, God. I don't know how much longer I can take it. But God, I need you to hear me. I need you to consider me. And look how personal he is. He says, oh Lord, my God, verse three. There is a personal nature to his relationship with God. It is not simply, okay, I know that God exists and he's out there, okay, whatever. David has this personal relationship with God. And to make it through the difficult and hard times of life, that is, it's required of us that we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Without that, we have no hope. If you're here today and you, you have no relationship with Jesus Christ, you've heard about him, you've heard about this thing called salvation where, where Jesus Christ wants to you know, forgive you of your sins, but you've never personally accepted him as your savior, there's not that personal relationship with him. 
And because of that, you, you feel no hope. You, you feel like you have nowhere to turn because you don't have that relationship with the God of the universe. And I'd implore you, beg you, that if you are not certain you are on your way to heaven, that you would ask Christ today to forgive you of your sins. You would accept that gift of salvation. It highlights his relationship with Jehovah, and it's a commitment to him. David is looking, he's not just saying, okay, you're God, but he's like, I'm committed to you just like you are to me. You are my God. There's a personal ownership and saying, you are, you are this and you are my God and I respect that and I am subordinate to you and I will trust in you through those, those hard times. It seems to me that David knows he's living right because David is very good. When you look through the Psalms, when David's not living right, he's very big quickly on confessing and pastor's been through that with David that he confesses his sins, that he takes care of it. We don't see any, any inkling in this passage of confession of sin. So what you have now is you have an individual who is looking and saying, I'm doing the best to live right. I believe that everything I'm doing right now is right with God, and yet life is still really rough. God, our relationship, I need you. It is that dependence upon him. And so he is begging the Lord, please, some way, Somehow, God, intervene in this situation. I don't know how you're going to do it. I can't tell you what to do anymore. I just, I need some help. I need some intervention. And so he says, encourage me. Somehow lift up my eyes. Help me to see light in them. That's the idea of what he's saying. He's, he's saying somehow. The, the wording is interesting. It's, it's not just a direct. It's like, I, I don't even know how this can happen right now. But God, I need some encouragement. I need something, someone to just lift me up, to brighten my, my eyes, to make the, the, your face to shine upon me, is the, is the idea. Uh, yesterday, we, we did, had a wedding for, I mentioned, Lanson and Sydney. It was interesting because I noticed as I was thinking about this passage, it was an old stone building, it was chilly outside, and when you stood in the shadows, it was cold. You were just like, oh, it's going to be a cold day. But as soon as you stepped around the corner and the sun just shined upon your face, it was like this instant breath of warmth and you're like, oh, okay, this is, this is nice. You've, you've been there. But isn't it true that when we're in the shadows of life, when we're in those dark moments, it's cold, it's lonely, it's difficult. But when we can add the shining of God's face and presence upon us, it lifts our spirits. It helps us to remember that he is there. He does care. He is looking upon us. And this came from, from David, from knowing God and being able to pay attention to him and knowing that God has answered things before. So he's trusting in that. Even though there's, there's implications throughout this of nothing seems to be happening, David has this consistent trust because of his relationship with God. There was an anticipation in his mind that things are going to change. You're going to hear me. Otherwise, this is going to happen. So something has to happen, God. It, it's got to break at some point. And so he's, he's trusting in that. But the thing is, we have no record in this psalm of anything changing. We have no record of God intervening. Which, for most of us, we're like, well, there's the fairy tale. Thanks a lot. You know, God's not going to... But God was doing something in David's life. God was moving in a way to, to bring David to some realizations. David understood the consequences of the situation. He knew he needed aid. He, he knew he needed it. He was, he was facing the potential death, that I'm going to you know, sleep the sleep of death. 
When he talks about in, the, in verse 4, he talks about being moved or wavering or falling and not being able to get back up again. That, that, that moment of I'm shaking so much and now I've fallen and life is, you know, and I've broken a hip and now I can't move and I can't even get up. That's the, the concept he's drawing upon. He's saying, I'm so moved or shaken and I'm falling to the ground. I can't do anything else. And what, he is, he, what is he concerned about? He's like, the testimony of you, God, if, if I fall, if I die, what's going to, are, are my enemies, the ones who are against me, but ultimately against you, are they just going to gloat? Are they going to be able to rejoice and go, okay, yeah, your God takes care of you. Yeah, your God cares about you. You're going through all these hardships and difficult times, and yet God's done nothing for you. Our God, are, are you, I don't want that to happen. Even in the midst of his difficulties, he still had that perspective that said, I want God to be glorified. Even in the hardships of his life, he's like, I don't want the enemies to be able to gloat, to rejoice. I don't, I don't want that to be able to happen. So he has those, those testimony of God, the implications there. It reminds me of a, a story that I read about a middle school boy who got really good at checkers. And as he got really good at checkers, he started beating everybody in the middle school. And one day the janitor came to him and said, well, if you really think you're that good, there's an old gentleman down at the end of the street, and he told them where. He's like, do you know the place? He's like, yeah, I know, I know the place. He's like, he's the best checkers player in the area. And the little boys, the middle school boys, like, whatever. You know, and so one day he happened to be walking by the house, and the gentleman was out there with the checkerboard set up on his porch. And he's like, all right, I'm going to show everybody who the best checkers player in this town is. So he goes up onto the, the porch, and he asks the gentleman if he can play checkers with him. And the, the man's like, sure, I'd love to play checkers with you. And as they're playing, the little boy's taking another piece from the old man, another piece, another piece, another piece. And he's thinking to himself, doesn't this guy even understand the point of checkers is not to lose pieces? And all of a sudden, he said, the, the, the account says that it happened. The little boy looked down, and the old man's like, click, 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 boom, crown me, or king me, takes off all these little pieces, and with the one piece, he just wipes the board clean of the little boy's, the little boy's uh, checkers. And the, the boy reflects back later on in years in life, and he says, you know, there, there are things in life that you, you don't really think about, but the losses are sometimes necessary for the crown. He didn't realize how, he thought he was just winning the game, but he did not like to lose pieces. He's like, this, but this older man had no problem losing some things because he knew the end goal. He knew where he was going. And God is teaching the value to David of utterly depending upon him, of being in his will. There are moments where we are going to face losses. There are going to be the hardships that are going to come. And yet, the end goal is eternal glorious gain. And as we face those difficulties in life, we have to realize, yeah, we may lose some things. But there's a bigger perspective. And if we truly believe that God is on the throne and we are dependent upon him, we have to accept. And that's what God is doing to David. God is working in David's life and saying, I'm teaching you a bigger, grander lesson here, bud. There's something more important for you to get. David has moved from tears to truth. And now he has to move from truth to triumph. The truth he looks at, he understands God's, God's in control. God is doing this, and I'm just begging him to somehow intercede, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing other than supplicating to him, to pray to him, and ask him for intercession. There is nothing else I can do. That is humbling, because we like to be able to do what we want to do. 
to fix things the way we want to fix them. And David moves from this, this truth to verses five and six. He's gonna show some triumph. He's gonna come and he's gonna say, I'm going to rely upon the Lord for hope. He, he looks and he says, I, but, he just starts off with this but. He's not gonna revolutionize his thinking. David's gonna be able to go back and, and remember the anthems that he has known, the truths of God that he has known. There's no word from God in this. There's no statement the, uh, from God, all there is is a statement of David's faith. He looks and he says, but, in verse 5, I am relying. There is a mental ascent. There is a psychological perspective here. I am relying upon your allegiance, your loyalty to the people. How do I get that? Verse 5, I have trusted in your chesed, your covenant mercy, your steadfast love. It is the word that the Jews would use when they would talk about that covenant loving mercy of Jesus, of God and Israel. He said, God, you are the covenant keeping God and I am going to trust, rely upon who you are and what you have faithfully been to our people through these generations. He says, my God, he's already declared that. And now he's going to trust in that covenant love of God. He's going to say, I have nothing else to trust in but who you are and who you have always been. The faithful promises that you bring to us. He says the trust, Wearsby said this, the trust, past and continuing, implies a quiet, a relaxed resting in God. That's where David's at. It's like there's nothing else I can do. God, I've given to you. You know what it is. You know where I'm at. You know the situations. I am begging that you please intercede. And now there's nothing else I can do but trust in you because you have been faithful through all these years. You have been the one who I can rely upon and I'm still going to rely upon you. He says, I will rejoice. There is this emotional response in your deliverance. I've trusted in my mer- thy mercy. My heart, it shall rejoice in your salvation. What's interesting here is watching how the Jews in their, their commentaries, it's called a midrash, and there's different midrashes. And in Babylon, the Babylonian midrash referred to this area and they said, we're gonna trust in your commitment, that you have been a faithful God. We're in exile. We don't know, you know, we know all this is not good and it's not where we wanna be. But they say, we're gonna trust in your commitment, God. Then after Babylon, we know that Persia takes over and there's still an exile in Persia. And the, the Jews in the Persian empire, their midrash said this, we're gonna rejoice in your deliverance. We're gonna rejoice in the fact that you're gonna bring us out of this captivity. We don't know when, we don't know how. But it's interesting to watch the Jewish progressiveness, uh, progression in that, in that exile time period. They, they went from, we're gonna trust in who you are and we're gonna trust that you're gonna deliver us. I don't know where you're at in the moments of those dark moments right now. Maybe you're not. But it is a commitment to say, God, I'm gonna trust in you and I'm gonna trust that you're going to deliver. We don't know how, we don't know when because reliance leads to rejoicing. When we rely upon God, we can rejoice. It's not gonna take us out of the situation, but we can rejoice that God knows, that God is aware, that God has a plan, that he truly does work all things together for our good. We, we can trust in those truths of scripture. Not easy. David's not jumping for joy at this point. There's no dancing of David going on in Psalm 13. But he's coming to theological truths and conclusions. We don't live on explanations. 
God, has, God does not need to explain himself to us. Ever. He owes me no explanation to anything in life. I simply have to live on the promises of God. I have to live on his truths and his unchanging character that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The God who got me through the difficulties will get me through the difficulties. The God who promises truth and promises justice will bring it about. The God who says that he will deliver, he will deliver. The God who grants us hope, knowing that through salvation that I can have the hope of eternal life, that he promises and will bring it about in that day. Those are, that's what I rest upon. That's what we must rest upon. That is where our faith lies. That is where our trust lies. That is where our hope lies. He says, I will sing. Am I the only one who, when you're going through a really hard time in life, the last thing you want to do is start singing unto God? Sure, let's come in and sing, I'm happy, you know. Okay, it's, it's hard at times. And yet David looks and says, I'm going to be able to sing to Yahweh, to the Lord. I will sing to him. Why? Because of his salvation. Because he has redeemed me. Because he has rescued me. For us as we sit here, even in the most difficult of moments you may face, even looking outside these walls and saying, what is happening to our country? What is happening to this world? We can still sing about the salvation of our souls. That God has been faithful. That God has redeemed us. That he has always been good. We can sing because of God's sufficiency. He talks about because he has dealt bountifully with me. I find it paradoxical for David to say this. Maybe ironic would be the better statement. He's just talked about three, four verses worth of Nothing's going right. I don't have anything. My world's falling apart. I'm facing death. I would look and go, man, God's done nothing for me. And what does David say? I'm going to sing because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's been so gracious to me. He's fulfilled, even if it's not right at this moment, I look back through history and look at all the things that God has granted to me what God has done in my life, how he has got me through, how he has enabled, how he has helped my family at times. David looks back, almost in Thanksgiving, even as we go through this month. How many times are we going to find ourselves complaining rather than looking back and seeing the way God has dealt bountifully with us? To have moments of thanksgiving toward him. David says, I'm going to sing to Yahweh because he saved me and he's so sufficient. And even in his sufficiency, he knows that there are times We like to think sufficiency is God giving me everything that I want and need. But sometimes God in his sufficiency is saying, you don't need that. I'm going to take this from you because right now you need to learn how to live life without that. We don't like to think about it that way, but that's part of God's sufficiency. He knows exactly what we need and he gives us what we need. And at times he may take away so that we learn, so that we learn to be dependent more upon him as we, as we face life. God's bounty, his goodness, his generosity, it highlights God's actions and acknowledgement. And that's where David's resting. He's like, I, I may not see it right now, but I know, based upon the character of my God, there's a change. When David gets to that butt in verse five, that is a change moment for David. He's looking and saying, I, I know you're gonna do something. I don't know what it is, but I'm gonna rest and trust 
in you and in you alone. He feels like he has no chance. And yet he starts to see change. And David's longing for the Lord to intervene. He's longing for the Lord to change things. But remember, David's circumstances haven't changed. Nothing, nothing has changed in this psalm that we are aware of. The Lord hasn't changed. The Lord has given him no direction. Though time has happened, stress has occurred, there is silence, the Lord, through all of that, changed David's heart. Sometimes those long moments of darkness are moments that God is changing us. But if we're only looking at ourselves and we're not trying to learn what God is teaching us, we miss it. We miss those opportunities. And David did not miss that. He looked and he said, okay, I'm going to depend upon him. I'm going to trust in the character of God. Whether it was David later on in life becoming very, feeling very self-sufficient, feeling he could do anything he wanted to do. He had that authority and power. And now he's looking and saying, wait, God, I need you. I need to be dependent upon you even in my hard times. Do you ever feel this way? Where is God when? When we feel as if God has abandoned us, that's what, that's what David wrestles with here. We, there are different responses that occur. Sometimes it is, well, God must not want to associate with me. That's why, that's why I feel abandoned. And really that assumes this idea that I am the cause of the apparent absence of God. Now, there may be some, some validity. As I live in sin, I feel that relationship, the fellowship distanced. That, there are times that we have to do that, and that self-condemnation. If we just keep living that way, saying, oh, it can lead me to become anger, angry. It can lead to a, a spiritual paralysis where I don't feel like I can do anything, to live in despair. But we know that God wants to associate with us. We know that God wants to have fellowship with us. In fact, he invites us to confess our sins, to have them faithfully forgiven so that we can be cleansed and restore that fellowship with him. So to look and just say, well, God's not there because he wants nothing to do with me, that's, that's not true. God's came, Christ came to seek and to save those who were lost. He wants a relationship with every single person. So we can't wallow in self-pity and despair all the time and just look and go, well, God, does, God doesn't want me. Another, another response may be, and some of you may feel this way, God, he must not really exist or he'd fix everything. Uh, maybe he's just the God who's out there out of touch. Yeah, sure, maybe he created the world and he, you know, he cares for people, but he's just out of touch. God, God is very present in our lives. God is very much working. This assumes that it is completely up to man to solve the problems of this world. Because if God's not here and going to fix it, then I've got to fix it. I can fall into this practically very quickly to say, well, I'm just going to figure out what we need to do and we're going to fix it. Rather than patiently waiting upon God. And that's where David is like, how long, how long? How? There is a time period there is a patience to some of the distress. We want out of the distress right away. We want out of the difficulties right away. And yet David is, is through this and through this and through this. And part of it is because we have to learn to rely upon and wait upon God and his authority and his control and let him teach us what he wants to teach us and direct us the way he desires to direct us. Because God teaches us through silence. I know that sounds weird because we're always taught that teachers speak. 
And yet God teaches David through silence. He looks and he says, nothing. And yet David is able to reflect back, to look upon who God is. We are to wait upon God as an acknowledgement of our powerlessness and a dependence upon him. We face so many different things in our life. And as American Christians, we want to fix all of them. As humans, we want to fix it all. And yet there are things that happen in our lives that God allows to teach us. And even in those moments of silence, the quietness, listen, learn from God. God, what are you teaching? It could very simply be what David had to learn. I will be dependent upon you, your faithfulness in your promises and your faithfulness in your character. This is who you are, God. This is who you have always been. And I will trust and rest in that because I can't fix all of that. God, I can't fix anything that all these enemies against me. God, I'm just going to trust you because you're the only one who can. And going through life, trusting and resting in God. The continuing conversation, even though it's one-sided, it affirms the relationship and dependence upon God from David to God. God, you're the only one who has the answers. God, I pray that you would consider me and intervene. I can't do it. I need you. And God, because of all of that, I'm just going to rejoice. I'm going to declare these anthems of truth and grace, and I'm going to trust and rest completely in you because I am utterly nothing. And so I need to have utter dependence upon you. And that's where David is. So in the feelings of divine absence, can I suggest to you, the feeling of divine absence, absence or abandonment, it's real. It's painful. And it's rightfully brought to, it's rightful to bring to God in laments and questions. You're saying, what do I do with that? Like, if you're in one of those moments, bring it to God. Let him, that's what David did. Bring it before God. I don't understand this world right now. I'm just, it is breaking me. I don't know what else to do, but God, I'm going to trust that you are in control. God, we are going through this family crisis right now, and I don't know where else to turn, and I just need you. I don't know how, even now, can you intervene, please? And if not, let Lord help me to trust and to rest upon you, because that's the only place I can go. Divine absence need not be seen as a result of some failing within yourself. Even the righteous at times faced that. Joseph, Job, you, you named people. Sometimes it's a hallmark of faithfulness that God allows those things into your life and he's still teaching you through those moments. Suffering the absence of God can be redemptive as others are brought to Christ through your faithfulness in those hard times. How can you go through that loss with such joy? How are you able to handle that? I, I couldn't even imagine if I found out that my, my child was sick. And yet you're doing it with such dignity and grace. Your faith is unwavering. Let me tell you about my God. You're going through whatever. It gives us an opportunity to live our faith in front of the people that need faith. We, we have that opportunity. God is worth holding on to faithfully, even when we do not experience him as present. We know he's present. We know he's here. We know he's working, and yet there are moments where we feel as if he's not here. We know theologically he's not abandoned us, but we feel that way at times. 
So we must come back to the truths that David learned and say, you are faithful, you are a covenant-keeping God, you keep your promises, your character is true and is just and noble, and I'm going to rest in you because you have dealt bountifully with me through these years and in the past. Voice your complaint to God, that's okay. Do it respectfully, yes, but let God know the difficulties. Talk openly and honestly to God about your situations, your feelings. For some of you, you like to journal. For some of you, you like to write poetry. That's what David did, he wrote poetry. For some of you, take time to pray with God. Go on a walk and talk with God and just let him know where you're at. Don't bottle it up. Let, let God know. He knows, yes. But it is a prayer of utter dependence upon him. That's what, David, that's what David did. Get out of yourself. Can I encourage you to do that? Like when you are facing those hard times, stop wallowing in just self-pity and get your eyes on a different perspective. Look toward other ways. Turn your attention away from yourself and toward other individuals. Because when we focus on ourselves, we tend to increase our sense of isolation and our aloneness. Look for opportunities to minister. You're like, well, I'm always alone. Nobody ever wants to come and talk to me. Nobody ever comes and visits me. Have you ever asked somebody to get together for tea? Well, no, if they want to get together with me, they should come ask me. It goes both ways. Get over ourselves. When you're feeling that, that self-pity, that self self-worth is down in the dumps. Look for opportunities to interact. Stay faithful. Stay faithful to your community of faith, to church. This area, we are here to worship our great God, to find those little moments in the darkness of life, to have those moments of encouragement, to be able to sing together, to be able to praise God together. When we stand and we worship God together, we catch glimpses of God we catch glimpses of his goodness and it refreshes us. And yet it's really easy in those moments when we feel that God doesn't care to avoid this place. And yet this is a wonderful place to come and to worship God together. It allows us to hear of how God is working and rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn and bearing one another's burdens and encouraging and lifting the eyes of one another. Some of the answers to David's prayer could easily be other people encouraging and lifting his eyes. Don't avoid the opportunities here. We look at the passage I truly believe that sorrow turns to song through supplication, through prayer to God, through bringing it to God, the, the, the difficulties, the hardships. I'm keeping it general because that's what David did. He, he didn't give us a specific, but whatever it is that you're facing, the sorrows that are facing and bringing difficulty in your life, you need to bring them to our sovereign God because he is sufficient, he is in control, he has the answers to them. That is why we sing these songs about how great our God's faithfulness is. That is why we sing songs about it can be well with my soul. This is why we sing a song that we've, we've often sung here, talking about the goodness of God, and we, we often sing it with a, a great reverential excitement and praise, where it talks about that our God is good. But I want you to think about, as you sing these words today, with the idea of you are always good, God, think about Psalm 113. Think about the fact that there are moments in our life where we look back and we realize God's good. There are moments in our life where we're wondering. And yet it is an anthem, it is a declaration by us to say, God, I, we're in crazy circumstances, but you're always good. My life 
I look in. It feels like it's all, but God, you're always good. I look around. It's crazy. You're always good. It is, a, it is a declaration for us as we sing today together that God is always good. That we say, God, despite the hardships, despite the moments we feel like you're silent, we are going to trust in your character. You are good. And we're going to trust in your consistency that you are always good. And we are going to trust that you keep those promises that no matter what I feel, you are God. And you're always good. Let's sing together. You are always good. Looking back, I can see your fingerprints upon my life, always seeking my best. There were times when your ways would make no sense, as you said, you have never left. You are always good, you are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see, help my heart believe. You are always only good. Looking in, I can see my frailty, my sin is great, and my strength is so small. Still you stay, and your mercy shelters me. You hold my hand, and you hear my call. You are always good. You are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see how my heart believes, you are always only good. Before we sing that last verse, maybe you're here today. We've talked about that having that relationship with God through salvation, through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you don't know for certain you're on your way to he heaven. You would like to talk with somebody. We have Pastor Kim, some of our other staff will be over at that door over on the side there. If you'd like to talk with somebody about how you can know for certain you're on your way to heaven, why don't you do like so many others have done in times past? Just step out of your pew, walk over to him and ask, how can I have that relationship with God so that I can know that he is good, that he cares for me and that he keeps promises to me as well and that he will save my soul. I'd encourage you to make your way over there as we sing that last verse together. Looking up, I can see your sympathy. Looking up, I can see your sympathy. I doubt myself, but I'm sure of your love. Lavish grace was poured out at Calvary, securing me of our home above. You are always good. You are only good. You are always good to me. Though my eyes can't see, help my heart believe. You are always only good. Father God, I pray that you would help us 
in those moments of hardship to know that we may feel forgotten, but we are never forgotten because you are faithful. You are good. You are always there. You are always present with us, Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to be able to trust and to rest upon your goodness, your faithfulness, your character, and the way that you have worked through these years and in our lives. In your name we pray.